The Mishnais have returned to the subject matter of Kisvea Kudesh, Tanakh scrolls that Midirabonon make one's hands impure. And the Mishnah records an account that occurred between the Tzedukim, which were a group of heretics, a group of people who accepted and believed in the Torah Bichsav, that which is written explicitly in the Torah. However, that which the Chachomim interpreted and decreed, they did not accept. Omrim Tzedukim, the Tzedukim would say, We have a complaint and a sort of claim against you, the Purushim. The Purushim literally means the separated ones. It refers to those who were more righteous and were very careful with the laws of impurity, and therefore they would separate themselves from the main population and be more careful with staying pure. Over here, the Mishnah possibly uses it as a wider term for those who did accept all of the laws of Torah, and the Tzadukim said as follows, She'atim Oimrim, you say that Kisvea Kodesh Mitamun Sayodayim, sacred Tanakh scrolls, they do cause one's hands to become Tomei, whereas Sifre Homeros, the books of Homeros, who is a particular heretic, other Mishnahis reads Sifre Homeram, which means books that they replaced. They replaced the Torah and the true beliefs with these false heretical beliefs. These books, in a time inside time, you say that they do not cause one's hands to become impure. Surely, logically, the exact opposite should be true. Something holy shouldn't be a source of impurity, whereas if it is, so then all the more so something that is unholy and heretical should be a source of impurity. Oram Ruchen Ben Zakai. Ruchen Ben Zakai said, either sort of sarcastically, or as a way of grabbing their attention as if he is agreeing with them, is this the only complaint and claim that we have against these religious Purushim? They say, They also have the following rule, that the bones of... A dead donkey are pure, they're not a source of impurity, although the flesh of a dead donkey, a dead animal is, but the bones alone would not be a source of impurity, whereas the Atzmos Yechanon Kohen Godel Tameim, the bones of Yechanon the Kohen Godel, who was a Kohen Godel for 80 years, although at the end of his life he did become a Tzaduki, he joined this heretical group of people, Either way, that's certainly an important figure, both in the eyes of the Jewish people and in the eyes of the Tzedukim. His bones, once he is dead, Tameim, are a source of impurity. They are, they are impure. How does that make sense? Surely if such a important person, his bones are Tomei, all the more so a dead donkey's bones should be Tomei. Rehachim and Zaka was effectively showing them that even according to their logic, it comes out untrue. Om Rulay, they replied to Rechon and Medzakai, Lefichi Bosan Hitomasan. Over there, their impurity is due to their belovedness. That is to say, the reason why the Torah, the logic that, the, that there is in the Torah decreeing that a person's bones are Tomei, is in order that a person won't end up making his father or mother's bones into spoons. It's forbidden to benefit from a dead person's body, and in order to prevent a person from doing so, the Torah said that the bones of a dead person should be Tomei. 
So there, there's a specific logic, and that logic does not apply to a donkey's bones, because it's not forbidden to benefit from a donkey's bones. So over there, there's a particular reason, but that's not going to explain the difference between Tanakh scrolls and other scrolls that contain heresy in them. Omar Lohem, Rechem and Zakai replied to them that if we're going according to your logic, so I have got an answer. We can say that same logic with regards to Tanakh scrolls, that their impurity is due to their belovedness. The reason why the Chachomim decreed them to be impure is so that people wouldn't use them for mundane purposes, being that they are a source of impurity. Of course, that's not the real reason, but it was just showing them that their logic could be applied there as well. Sifrei Hameiros, or Hameirom, Shein Chavivin, these heretical scrolls, that are obviously not beloved, so the Chachomim do not decree with regards to them, and Enom Natal and Saradayim, they therefore do not make one's hands impure based on the decree Midirabonon. As we explained, this is not the real reason. The real reason that the Chachomim decreed the Tanakh scrolls as being a source of impurity is in order to prevent people from storing their truma amongst the scrolls, because that would lead to the mice nibbling and eating away at the scrolls as well as the truma. Mishnah Zayin, Oymim Tzedukim, the heretics that Tzedukim would say, we have another complaint, a claim against you, the Purushim, the separated ones, with regards to a different matter of laws of impurity. Because you rule in a case where there is something flowing from one container into another, if the lower container contains liquid that is tome, and there is a container of another liquid that is pure being poured into it, and there is an un- uninterrupted flow from the upper container into the lower tome container, nevertheless, you rule that the upper container remains pure, and only the liquid that actually ends up falling into the tome container actually becomes tome. And the Tzedukim was saying that logically, surely the, there is a direct connection, and therefore even the liquid that's in the upper container, which is being poured into the Tomei container, all of that liquid should surely become Tomei, because it's considered to be touching the Tomei liquid. Omen Purushim, the Purushim would answer, According to your logic, we have a complaint against you, the Tzedukim. Because you rule that a canal of water that comes through and comes out of a graveyard is pure. Even though you understand that the water that is in the canal inside the graveyard is indeed Tomei. But you say that the continuation of the canal that is outside of the graveyard is pure. Surely, according to your logic, since this is all flowing from the Tomei water in the graveyard, so surely the water that is beyond the graveyard, outside of it, that flows from it, it's all part of the same canal, so surely that should also be Tomei. In the same way as you want to say that the flow of water is all considered to be connected. Now, it happens to be that the truth is even the water that is inside the graveyard is not Tomei. Since it is water that is part of the ground, it's in the ground, it has the status of a mikveh that itself cannot be Tomei. However, the Tzedukim themselves understood that the water inside the graveyard at least does become Tomei. So according to them, if we combine that with the logic that they just had a complaint against the Purushim, so the continuation of that canal, even the part that is outside of the graveyard, should surely also be Tomei because it's flowing 
and is part of the same flow of water. The Mishnah brings an additional example now of an argument between the Tzedukim and the Purushim. Even Tzedukim, the Tzedukim would say, We have a complaint or a claim against you, the Purushim, the separated ones. Because you rule that My ox or my donkey that caused damage to somebody else's possessions, Chayovin, I am liable to pay for the damages, the Avdi Amosi Sheziku, whereas if my male or female slave caused damage, Paturin, I am exempt from paying for the damages that they caused. The slave himself would also be exempt because he doesn't halakhically own anything. Anything he owns is essentially owned by his master. The point of the Mishnah is that the master himself is also exempt from paying, he's not responsible for paying for the damages that were caused by his slaves. Now the Tzedukim claimed that surely this doesn't make sense. If, with regards to my ox or my donkey, for whom I am not responsible to make sure that they observe the mitzvahs, an animal obviously is not obligated to keep any mitzvahs. And nevertheless, Hareini Chai Vizinskan, I am responsible for paying for the damages that the animals caused. Surely, Abdiva Amosi Shani Chai Bohen Mitzvahs, my male or female slave, for which I am responsible to make sure that they observe the mitzvahs. So we see that I have a higher level of responsibility with regards to what they do. Is it not all the more so that I should be liable to pay for the damages that they caused? Amulahem, the Prussian replied to them, Loi, that is not a correct logic. Although such an argument could be made, but there's a special reason why I am exempt for the damages caused by my slaves. Even though technically speaking they are my possessions, I should be responsible, but that can't be the case, because if you say with regards to my ox or my donkey, that they themselves have no intelligence, no understanding, so... I'm responsible for that which the animals do, being that they are my possessions, but can you apply that same logic to my slaves, that they do have understanding, and therefore we can lead to a situation where if I annoy them, my slave will just go and set fire to somebody else's stack of grain, and I would be obligated to pay for the compensation for all of the damage. So because of that, the Chachomim exempted the master of the slave from paying for the damages that the slave causes, because otherwise we would end up with such a situation where the slave could take advantage, and because of that, the Chachomim decreed that the master would be exempt from the damages caused by his slave. The Mesechta ends off with one last claim or complaint that the Tzedukim had, and this time it's a particular Tzeduki. Omar Tzeduki Galili, there was a particular Tzeduki from the area of Golil, and he came with a new complaint. I have a complaint, a claim against you, the Purushim, because you write the name of the ruler of that area, together with the name of Moshe Rabbeinu, on a get, a document that one gives to his wife in order to divorce her. The Chachomim instituted that in order to maintain good relations with the ruler, at the top of a get, one should write as the date of the, the the divorce is being written, he should write it according to the years that that current ruler has been ruling. And they would write the name of the ruler, 
And as well as that, at the end of a get, one writes, this is nothing to do with the previous decree, one needs to write that the get is being written, Kadas Moshe Yisrael, according to the practices of Moshe, Moshe Rabbeinu, and the Jews. So that Tzaduki was claiming that it's considered to be disrespectful to mo- towards Moshe Rabbeinu for the name of the ruler to be written on the same document, and not only that, but to be written at the top, whereas Moshe Rabbeinu's name is written at the bottom. Omrim Prushim, the Prushim reply, or they replied to this particular Tzaduki's claim, We have a complaint and a claim against you, the Tzaduki who comes from Golil. According to your logic, so there's also a problem in something that you do. You write the name of a ruler on the same page as the name of Hashem. Not only that, but you write the name of the ruler higher up, there's Hashem Elamaton, and Hashem's name lower down. Where exactly is this? In a Sefer Torah, Shneemar, because one of the Pesukim in a Sefer Torah is Vayomer Paroi, Paroi said, Mi Hashem. Who is Hashem? Asher Eshma B'Koyloi, that I should listen to his voice, the Shalach Yisrael, to send the Jewish people. So in that Pesuk, there is Paroi, and then later on in that Pesuk comes the name of Hashem. So if you consider it to be disrespectful, the fact that it happens to be that the name of the ruler is in the same document as the name of Moshe Rabbeinu, so there's a problem in that which you do as well, that you also write a Sefer Torah and you have Paro's name coming before Hashem. Now, rather, it must be that it's not considered to be disrespectful. The two names are being written separately, not as a order of preference at all. Obviously, this is not a disrespectful thing at all. Now, in order not to end off with Paro's brazen statement against Hashem, so the Mishnah and the Masechta ends off with a more positive note, when Paro was smitten with plagues, what does it say? What did Paro end up saying? Hashem Hashem is the righteous one and the correct one, and in that way the Masechta ends off on a more positive note. We now move on to the final Masechta of Shisha Sidri Mishnah, Masechas Uktsin, which literally is the plural for oikets, which is a stem. If there is a vegetable or a food item that has a stem, so that would be called an oikets. And the focus of the Masechta is really a continuation of something that's been discussed in other Masechtas, in particular Masechas Tarais. And that is the subject of Tumas Oichlin, impurity that applies specifically to food. And the main subject matter is going to be the more secondary parts that might be attached to the main food item and what their status is. In order for food to become Tome, at least Midirabonon, it could be even Midiraisa, it doesn't have to be a minimum size. As long as it's edible food, it can become impure. However, in order for that impurity to pass to be passed onwards to other food or other liquid, it needs to be at least the size of a kabeza, the size, the, the volume of an egg. Now, the Masechta introduces with two definitions, a yad, which literally means a handle, and a shomer, which literally means something that guards. A handle refers to a part that is attached to the food item that is used to hold on to the food, for example, a stem a stalk of a particular fruit, although that might not be eaten, but it is held onto as one eats the food. And a shoimer would be something like a peel that protects the inside of the fruit. 
the Mishnah teaches, any part of the food, even if it is not edible, but it is used to hold onto the food, and it is not a something that guards the food, like a peel or a shell, mitame, it can become tome together with the rest of the food. Although once it separates off from the food and it's by itself, it cannot become tome, and the laws of Tomas Eichlim, the impurity that applies to food, does not apply to it. As long as it's attached to the food, since it serves the food and it's it, one holds on to it when he eats the food, or when he moves the food, so it is considered to be secondary to it, and it would become tome together with the food. That is to say, if a source of impurity touches the food and the food becomes tome, so the stalk or the yard, whatever it may be, would become tome with it. And vice versa, if the source of impurity only touched this part, so the food would become tome. Umetame, it would also be able to transfer the impurity onwards to something else. If something else only touches the handle, the yard, it would become tome. Velomitstarif, but it does not combine to make up the minimum volume of an egg in order to make something else impure. Whereas shomer, something that guards the fruit or the particular food item, afalpish in a yard, even if it is not a yard, it doesn't help to hold onto it. When one is handling that food item, mitame umitame, it can become tome together with the rest of the food, and it can transfer the food's impurity onwards to other things, and as well as that, umitstore, if it also combines to make up the minimum volume of an egg, that is needed for the food to make other items tome. So to summarize, both a yad, which is something that is used to hold onto the food, and a shomer, which is something that protects and guards the food, they both are considered to be secondary to the food, so they can become tome and transfer the food's impurity with it. But there's one difference between a yad and a shomer in that a yad is more stringent because it can even combine to make up the minimum volume of an egg that is needed for food to transfer its impurity onwards.